Corinthians chapter 6. So tonight, Lord willing, we will get all the way through chapter 7 as well. It's going to highlight some things. If you're able to stand, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, through, verse, through chapter 7, verse 2. All right. Are we ready? Okay. Verse 24. Oh, I was going to say, are you hungry for the word of God? Or are you Hungarian for the word of God? Okay. Amen. All right, verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the winepress? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes. And he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God, do so, and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day, as though the prophet made this happen. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him, but ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes but shall not eat thereof. Now, there is a lot in this story we have just read. And this is a, we could call this a desperate situation. So, uh, that's not the title. I'm sorry, did you write that down? Okay. Uh, The title would be this, God's Grace in Desperate Times. God's Grace in Desperate Times. So let's go ahead and pray here. Father, we love you. We pray that you bless our service this evening. May the Spirit of God teach us through the scriptures, through the reading and the teaching, the study of this passage. 
May it minister to our hearts and give us what we need tonight. Minister to your people. Thank you that you allowed the Andrasics to be with us. Keep them safe in their travels. Use him. May your good hand be upon he and his wife and children. Protect them, provide their needs, and prosper their ministry in Hungary. We pray that souls would be saved. More would be saved there, baptized and discipled. And help us do our part to, to shine the light here in our own Jerusalem. Bless the young ladies as they sing now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we just read a narrative of a very tragic situation, desperate situation. Uh, the king of Israel in the capital city, Samaria, has been besieged by the country of Syria, or the army of Syria. They're experiencing famine. People are starving to death. We read uh, a case of human depravity in there, did we not? And sometimes truth can be stranger than fiction. We read our Bible, and there's some things in here that if it, the Bible hadn't have declared that, I would think that's certainly fictitious. But we read a historical account of human depravity at its lowest, at its lowest. And desperate times can make people or can manifest human depravity. You remember the Black Lives Ladder, uh, Matter uh, chaos that took place throughout the different cities. And, and uh, by the way, it wasn't all black people. It, there were people involved that it seemed it was they were paid to be there to stir up trouble. And, of course, our media is promoting all this, and it was in the midst of... Uh, just kind of a cultural war that we're still going through, but uh, it just created human depravity. They're breaking into people's uh, uh, st buildings, restaurants, and stores, and just taking things, walking out, and they're not, they're not being locked up. My wife and I uh, read a number of audible, or listened, you don't read, but listen to audible books. We listened to a number of audible books as we traveled. One of the books we listened to was the Happiest Man Alive. And the title encouraged me. I thought, well, this will be a nice positive book. And so we purchased it and while we're driving and played it, and it was about a Auschwitz survivor. And that's a difficult thing for me to listen to. Not that uh, it doesn't sadden me and break my heart, but it's just hard to listen to uh, all that transpired there because it sticks with you and it's sometimes hard to get loose because it affects me I it, honestly it can be very empathetic and I can feel it and uh, I thought oh I watched Schindler's List and it took a long time to to get over that I think people need to hear it and see I think they need to be mindful of that uh, especially in a time where there's actually nuts out there that say the Holocaust never existed. Nevertheless, in the book, in the book, the guy's name was Eddie Jaku. That's who the book was about. And he talks about his experience. And, you know, you go through uh, a literal hell on earth. And to make it through that, even the trivial things of, of life seem exciting. The trivial freedoms of life are just exciting. But he mentioned 
most of the book is about his experience there. And he mentioned that um, what was one of, one of the most tragic things for him were other Germans that he used to count as close friends who, one, because of fear, they ostracized themselves from him, and then that fear actually turned to hatred. And they began to turn on Jews who were their good friends and even shout, kill the Jew. Human depravity was just manifest in this time of uh, crises and despair. And that happens. The king seems to be blaming this on Elisha, and then he, he resents God, and that happens also in times of despair. Sometimes people can resist God like that's going to help them. And the king sends a messenger to Elisha, hoping to bring Elisha in or execute Elisha like that's going to help. But the fact of the matter is Elisha is a lot like Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. I think this is on. No, it's not. So uh, they arrive at Elisha's house in verse 32, if you want to take a peek there again. See if I can get this thing going. All right. Verse 32 of chapter 6, it says, But Elisha sat in his house. Now, he seems to be fine. He seems to be secure. There are others with him. In spite of all of the craziness going on, he's, uh, he's still in fellowship with the Lord. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer, this is Elisha speaking, son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head. And then Elisha, when the guy comes in, Elisha speaks to this man, but he does not speak a word of judgment in the sense he speaks a word of hope. A word of hope. You look down at verse 1 of chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Uh, just prior to that, in chapter 6, we read that they were eating donkey head and dove dung. And they were paying a lot for that. That's as well as cannibalism. Just to let us know how bad things were. And then Elisha says, tomorrow, it's absolutely going to change. It's going to be like the windows of heaven are going to open. Tomorrow, he says. So I want to talk to you about God's grace in desperate times because we've got some people in the church that you may not be going through desperate times right now, but there are some people going through some desperate times. Some of you know Julia Salvatore. Her dear husband, Rick, I, as far as I know, he's still breathing. But for the past four years, he's been dealing with a degrading Alzheimer's. And, of course, I knew Brother Rick very well. Many of you did. And I worked on a van route with Brother Rick. And Brother Rick, her husband, used to go door-to-door soul winning regularly. He's not even 70. I don't think he's 70. And um, it got to where over the past two years, three years, he wasn't even able to communicate. He wasn't remembering people. And uh, 
it was sad. It was, it was difficult for me to go visit. But that's a desperate time for her. Not in the same sense as this, but it's a desperate time. But something that you need to understand is there's grace in desperate times. I got word just yesterday that uh, Suze had be your niece. Uh, died. 27 years old. Is that correct? 28 years old. It wasn't expected. Her brother uh, Steve comes regularly. And he was here this morning with a heavy heart. This took place. That's a desperate time. And I don't know everybody's situation, okay? I'm familiar with the members of this church by name, and I know a lot about most of you, but I don't know the struggles you went through the past week, month. or. But I know desperate times come. You live long enough, they come. Crises come. And what you need to be mindful of, no matter how severe it is, God has a word of hope for you. What I find amazing about this passage is this word of hope came to them in spite of their in spite of their sin and lack of faith in spite of their what we would call shortcomings. And if God would give them grace, how much more do you think he's going to give you who he's saved through the blood of Christ? How much more do you think he's going to, he wants to give you hope and give you grace? He has, he's got it available. Hebrews 4, 16 tells us, uh, Come boldly into the throne of grace that you might find grace and mercy to help in your time of need. I mentioned at the end of this morning's service that when Jesus met that woman at the well, that was Jacob's well, I mentioned this morning if you are here, she was there because she was there to get water. That well had been there for over 2,000 years. And what we discovered there, among many other Bible truths, is there was still water in the well. And no matter how much you go to God in your desperate times, there's still water in the well. There's grace available to help in your time of need. There's grace to sustain you or change you or to remove the problem. But either way, that grace will see you through it. Something else I discover here, verse 1, Elisha said, tomorrow, chapter 7, verse 1. So, these people are in dire straits. They're in a terrible, terrible situation. And Elisha says, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time, tomorrow. Now, for hungry people, that's going to be a long way off. But nevertheless, they can make it. God knew what they could do. But why didn't he do it immediately? I believe there needed to be an element of faith and hope. God provided the hope, but faith needed to be embraced. Uh, something Eddie Jocko said as well in that book, The Happiest Man Alive, he said, he said, one of the things that made the biggest difference for him and for most people that he, from his, his experience there, he said, number one, you had to have a friend in the camp. And number two, every day you were just living for tomorrow. If you can just make one more day, it might be the day. Just one more day. Persevere one more day. And that was their mindset the whole three years he was there. 
And by the way, that day finally came. He was one of the few that made it out. Other people made it out a different way. But he made it out to share that experience. Elisha says tomorrow, and God gives grace. I just, just to echo this, God gives, God's grace gives hope in desperate times. The second thing I'd point out is this. God's grace points us in the right direction. It's his grace that points us in the right direction when we need it. Just like the star for the, wise, for the, for the uh, three wise men that were looking for the king of Israel or the king of, looking for Jesus, that star pointed them the right direction. And God's grace has the ability to do that. Now we're going to move on down to an, another part of this same story, same context, but it, you, we could draw a completely different sermon from it. Verse 3, and what I find amazing here is God's going to use some of the most, some of the least expected people to bring this provision in. Verse 3, and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? Now let's pause and just consider this for a moment. Inside the city, inside the city people are dying. We read that. It's bad in the city. Lepers, lepers were outside the walls. They were not allowed to be inside the city. And they were fed off the leftovers. Well, man, provision quit coming out of the wall a long time ago. Okay, because those people were starving inside. And so these lepers, no doubt, they're dying off too. And there are four of them left here. And they've come to this logical conclusion during this desperate time. Okay, and God's telling us. God's revealing this to us. Number one, they said, why sit we here until we die? And I just want to say this. We're a lot like these guys. There's a lot about these four lepers that honestly, if you're honest with yourself, you can relate to. I can relate to. Because the reality is, it, <coughs> we, were, we are dying. I know that doesn't sound hopeful, but these bodies are dying. We're not going to live in this flesh forever. And without Christ, we are really dying. Hello? But these, these bodies, we, we enjoy them while we have health. We do the best we can with them as they age and progress. But the reality is these bodies are dying. We're living in these dead bodies, dying bodies. That's a reality. And sometimes, I'll move on here, verse 4. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And I love this because God is going to reveal to us this unusual way, through these unusual for, this unusual foursome, how he's going to bring provision to a city in dire straits. Who would expect four lepers to be the means of deliverance, okay, or, the, or God's tool of deliverance? But these four guys, they've come to this conclusion, and God does this. It's God's grace that does this to us, because sometimes he lets us go through desperate times, crises, to get us thinking right. 
Okay, so for these fellas, for these fellas, they come to the logical conclusion, well, we stay here, we're going to die, we know that. If we go back, we're going to die, we know that. There's only one logical conclusion. The enemy out there has food and provision. They could probably smell uh, the chili from the, from the campfire, okay? Uh, a little breeze coming their way. When you haven't eaten, uh, uh, listen, if I go a day without food, I can smell a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, uh, your, your senses are enhanced when you haven't eaten. And so they're hungry. They know there's food out there. They also know that's the enemy. But what do they have to lose? The only place where there's food is out there. And so their hope is, well, Let's go out there. They said, if they kill us, we but die. But at least we died trying. At least we died uh, attempting to, doing, making the best decision we could. Now, there's some, there's some uh, uh, spiritual application here for you and I just before I move on. All right? So, uh, number one, maybe you're in a situation right now and God's trying to uh, get you to move a certain direction and God wants to show you some things, teach you some things. But maybe you're in a little crisis right now. Maybe even in your own spirit, in your own soul, you feel like I'm dying. Not, it's not that you're not saved, but you're just... I remember as a youth pastor when God was trying to uh, remove me from the youth pastorate. Man, I was comfortable there for a long time. God allowed us to see some exciting things take place. The church was taking care of us. Uh, my, our family was there. I mean, it was good there. But it got to a place where uh, the Lord was stirring up the nest. And I, find, I remember telling my wife specifically, I said, Honey, I'm dying inside. I'm dying inside. I mean, I just remember that as clear as day. I said, I can't stay here. I have no idea if God's leading me into another ministry or not. All I know is this, he's leading me out. I'm just, that's the honest truth. I thought, well, I, I'll go do some secular work. I'll do some drywall work, but I, I can't stay here. That's how uncomfortable, uncomfortable it had become for me. And so, but also I knew this, I couldn't go back. To Michigan, I couldn't go back to the way I used to be, or I'd die there for sure. If I sit still, I was going to die. If I went back into the world and left the Lord, I thought, I'm going to die there. So I remember telling the preacher, I just said that the Lord's leading me out, and that's when he said, you ever thought about starting a church? <laughs> I thought, uh, No. Prayed about it for a week, went back and said, well, I might as well try. That was my attitude, honestly. I felt no divine inspiration to start a church. I just thought, well, I'll try it. What do I got to lose? I know I'm not supposed to be here. So I went forward, and the Lord made it clear. One of the things we see about these three men is they went forward. They went forward. They weren't certain, but they went forward. There's a great principle there for us as Christians. When you don't know what to do, go forward for the Lord. Continue being a witness. Continue attending church. Continue reading the Bible. Continue looking for people you can be a blessing to. You just go forward. It's interesting as Christians, there's no armor for the backside, is there? None at all. Why? Because we're supposed to advance. We're the church militant. We're supposed to go forward. I shared a passage with the men yesterday. Be not overcome of evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Now, I want you to visualize this. So in a visual sense, the verse reads like this. Don't let evil get you from behind, but attack. You go forward. You overcome evil with good. You go forward. And that's the truth. It's interesting, in Exodus chapter 14, where they're at the brink of the Red Sea, Egypt has Israel boxed in. Uh, they're on one side of the nation of Israel, and the Red Sea's on the other. The people are crying out, Moses, what do we do? And God tells Moses I'm, a couple things. First of all, he says, stand still. But then we come to verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Exodus 14, 15, Wherefore criest thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. He'll take care of the rest. So what's he saying? He's just said, I've given them marching orders. They don't need to see the end of the road. They just need to see the direction. The direction. You know, the prodigal son had to come to this conclusion as well. I mean, he, the Bible says that he came to himself. He was in dire straits. Remember, he'd spent all. He, too, was starving. And while he's in that hog pen, he come to himself. That's exactly what the passage says in Luke 15. It says he came to himself. He reasoned this through, understanding my only real option for survival it's to go back to my father, but to do that, I'm going to have to confess my sin. And we find that he says, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against my father. I know what I'll do, I'll come home and I'll, I'll humble myself and I'll be willing to be a servant. And he gets up and he returns home, he marches forward home. And we know the rest worked out well. I don't know what your dire strait would be. I don't even know if you're in a, a, a crisis right now. But I do know this. There is grace available. And I do know the, the action plan is stay on the same course God has called you. Uh, the marching orders haven't changed. He still expects us to walk with Him and talk with Him. He still expects us to worship Him. He still expects us to witness for Him. He still expects us to give as we're able to. He still expects us to be faithful in our fellowship with one another. He still expects us to look out for one another. Those are our marching orders, though maybe a little simplistic. I'm glad they are. When you don't know what else to do, just stay with the game plan God's given you. It will work. Many people miss out on God's best because they bail out on God's tests. That is the truth. We've been here long enough. Some of you have been here long enough. You've seen people bail out during difficult times and then only, only to discover, wow, God sent a wave of revival afterward. That's just the way it works. There's been many seasons where, wow, it seems like we're going through a dry season. We're going through some tough times. It's just, I'm not seeing life here. And so you just keep showing up. We keep having prayer meetings. We keep handing out gospel tracts. And we keep doing what we believe God wants us to do. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God says, Whew. let me show you I'm still with you. And I'm just telling you, even in a personal, in a personal situation, pers personal way, 
Don't give up. Go forward. Go forward. So these men, these men go forward, and what do they find? i got just a couple minutes here. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I know there's a whole lot to chapter 7, but let me just say this. They march on out to the Syrian camp. They march on out there, and what do they find? The Bible tells us, I'm not going to read it all, the Bible tells us that the Syrians heard a noise. God made a noise, and it scared all of the Syrian soldiers off. It scared them to the degree that they left without getting on their horses. They fled on foot. They left their horses, their livestock. They left food that was being cooked. They left their tents. They left anything that had any weight. They fled for their lives. God knows how to remove people. And so these four lepers, here they go marching, marching to Zion, okay, going forward, hoping for the best in their mind, knowing, well, the worst that can happen is we're going to die. This is the day. But at least we did what we could. And can you imagine, can you imagine the lift in their spirit when they got there, oh, they could smell the food, and they didn't see anybody around. They were probably a little suspicious. They began to peek in tents, wondering if, if they were ready for an ambush. Man, there wasn't anybody in the tents. Matter of fact, there was silver and gold. There was tools. There was clothing. There was all kinds of things that were left around that were useful. And they were looking in, through all these tents. I mean, we're talking about a Syrian army that had besieged the city. That's a, there's, a, there's a lot of goods that have been left. And these four lepers have it all to themselves. And I'm sure they, they looked at each other after browsing through the tents for a while. They looked at each other and says, you think it's all right to get some? And I'm sure one of them already said, I don't care. And they, they started dipping the ladle in, in the chili and they started eating. They started, some of them found some bread and he started tearing that up and eating that. And they filled their bellies. They sat down. They thought, well, I wonder where they're going to show up here. And they didn't show up. Who knows how many hours passed, and they finally, they went back for more after things had settled. And boy, <clears throat> they just continued to fill themselves. And you know what they discovered? They discovered the great, God's grace always exceeds our expectation. Always exceeds our expectation. And I'm just here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll stay faithful and stay forward for Christ, you're going to find out when all is said and done, His grace will exceed your expectation. But don't quit, don't give up. Too often people jump out, they jump out on God, and they got to come back in. They feel like, man, I'm way behind now. That's all right. God will take you back. He'll take you back. But you're still going to have to go through some tests to grow. Everybody, hey, listen, if you didn't pass the class the first time, you're going to go through it again. Y'all hearing me? He's going to send you through the class again. But hopefully this time you're going to understand. Just stay faithful. Stay the course. Look around. Other people have made it. You can make it too. Other people have went through as much as, uh, as much as you've gone through, if not worse. I mean, just listening to that book, I'm thinking, we have so much to be thankful for. Just stay forward for God. I mean, we need advance. You know, the, the, the two letters, the, the one word that's missing from the Great Commission in, in most of Christianity is the go. The go. We don't mind sending somebody else. We don't mind uh, paying somebody else's way. And we don't even mind praying for somebody else. But what about our own witness? You say, well, preacher, I can't get out like I used to. Can you carry gospel tracts with you? Can you hand out a gospel track? 
Have you lost your passion for souls? God hasn't. Sam Davison said something at the meeting that we were at that I wrote down. I loved it. He said, when your mission is not his mission, you're on the wrong mission. That's the truth. It doesn't matter what occupation you have. As a Christian, you're called to be a witness for Christ. And when your mission is not his mission, you're on the wrong mission. But he always takes care of those who are on his mission. Whether God has called you to be an engineer, or God has called you to work in tool and die, or God has called you to work in some computer program, or God's called you to be a teacher in a public school, or God's called you to, to uh, some manufacturing business or, or fast food, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter what so-called secular work. To the Christian, it's all spiritual work. It's all sp- Every bush is a burning bush to a Christian. Go forward. And so these fellas, they show up and it's like, wow, this is incredible. Look what we got. But then the fourth thing I'd like to point out is this. They discovered they got more than they can handle. But God's grace must be shared after it's been experienced. God's grace must be shared after it's experienced. Look at verse 9, chapter 7. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace if we tarry till the morning light. Some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And by the way, can you imagine when they showed up? Number one, they made the right decision. And I would say this, if you've received Jesus Christ, you and I are debtors. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn over there real quick. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romanos chapter 1. And if you look at verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, says the Apostle Paul, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Did you catch that phrase? He said, I'm debtor. He said he was debtor to these people and all of that, but what he was really saying, I'm a debtor to God in the sense of I have an obligation because of what I've received. And any honest person is concerned about their obligations. I mean, gentlemen and ladies, they're concerned about their obligations. And Paul says, I understand my obligation as someone who's a recipient of the grace of God. I have a duty now to share this. These four lepers, after what they've experienced, this great provision we could call grace, this sustenance, this fulfillment, this satisfaction that had met their need. Did Jesus, has Jesus met your need? They said, we do not well keeping it to ourselves. We do not well hiding it. We do not well hoarding it. Oh, no, we got to go tell. And by the way, can you imagine when they showed up? It was going to take faith for that king. It was going to take faith for that king to believe these lepers because uh, it's not like they were going to get a real close audience. I got a feeling they might have brought some provision with them. There was some evidence of God's grace. You know, it always helps if you bring some evidence of God's grace with you when you go to share it, like a smile, like good language. 
like a, being appropriate in your behavior. I mean, just some evidence of God's grace. That, that'll help you. See, bring some crumbs. Bring some happiness, some joy. A little more believable. And so they showed up, and the king wasn't quite sure, but he believed them enough to send somebody along to go take a peek. And they did, and sure enough, took care of the whole city. And what did we find out? The prophecy of Elijah, the promise that God gave Elisha to the people, oh, it worked out exactly as he said it was. But there was one doubter in the bunch, and he didn't make it. He got to see it, but didn't get to taste it because he didn't believe. Well, you got the whole story at 7-Eleven. Big gulp. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We pray you bless the service. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your truth. I pray, Father in heaven, that you'd help us. I don't know where folks are at, but I know often this has helped me when I didn't know where to turn just to go forward. Go forward. And I pray that uh, your spirit would touch hearts. Maybe there's some folks in the room this evening who say, Preacher, the Lord spoke to my heart, and there are some decisions I need to make. And by God's grace, I'm going to make them decisions. I just with an uplifted hand, I just want to testify, God spoke to my heart about this. Would you, uh, would you raise your hand? Anybody like that? All right. Father, we love you. I pray you bless these dear people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this assembly. We ask that you bless our invitation now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian.